in the coronavirus and all that sort of stuff. Well, uh, let's pray. Father God, uh, we thank you so much that we needn't be fearful. Uh, You are the one uh, who uh, feared nothing and sent your son uh, to die uh, our death uh, on the cross in our place. Uh, We thank you that he chose to uh, uh, overcome his own fears uh, so that we needn't be a fearful people. Um, Father, we know that's true uh, in regard to the things that go on around us, uh, like this uh, coronavirus pandemic. And we thank you that we needn't be fearful, that uh, you are sovereign and your will will always be done. Uh, We thank you also that we needn't be uh, fearful people when it comes to addressing sin in our lives. We don't have to pretend anymore and that is great freedom we thank you that uh, we have been given this freedom uh, through faith in jesus christ uh, to be real with about our sin and also to deal with our sin and we pray that you'll help us to think about that freedom well together this morning in jesus name amen there's a church in uh, my old hometown of lismore that for quite a while uh, had this slogan running uh, sort of out the front of its church. It it said, come as you are. Come as you are. Now, I wonder what you think of that as a slogan for a church. You can see its appeal, can't you? And you can see it's found, it's grounding in the gospel. Uh, We know that Jesus came and was known as the friend of sinners, And so that idea, come as you are, I think uh, certainly has uh, something good in it. But I do wonder whether it's accurate, and uh, sorry, sufficient, whether it's adequate uh, as a message that we want to put out there to the community uh, uh, of God's gospel of salvation, come as you are. Is it enough? And if it's not enough, then uh, would you be guilty of sort of a bait and switch uh, if you were saying, come as you are, and then uh, wanted to add something once people did come. Uh, you know, the focus of our modern concept of freedom these days is on what we are freed from. What we're freed from. Uh, for example, uh, we're set free uh, from, um, you know, uh, an abusive relationship. And that's, that's good, and that's part of the... That's part of what freedom is about. But it's not everything, is it? What about freedom for? If we're set free from something, then presumably we're also set free for something. And what is that? I think in our culture, the reason we don't talk much about it is because we assume the answer to that question. In our culture, where um, expressive individualism reigns, the answer is simply, well, I'm, I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm free to set my own course in life. It's an absolute kind of freedom from every constraint so that I can be true to myself, so that I can follow my dreams, so that I'm free to be me. That's as far as we get, free to be me. Now, I wonder what Jesus would have made of this version of freedom. I mean, Jesus was certainly one who was in favour of freedom, Uh, When he stood up in the synagogue in Nazareth, 
he turned to the scroll of Isaiah and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus was a proponent of freedom and he said, Today this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He wasn't just a proponent. Jesus saw himself as a liberator, someone who came to bring freedom. But I wonder if he would have been happy, if he would have thought it were adequate uh, to summarise his gospel simply as, come as you are. Uh, In John chapter 8, Uh, We read uh, the story that's uh, unique to John and perhaps not actually unique to John. It's an interesting passage because uh, it doesn't appear in the most reliable manuscripts. But even uh, in spite of that, we still have it included in our Bibles. Uh, And just because it wasn't in the original doesn't necessarily mean it didn't happen either, uh, just that John may not have included it. Anyway, here's the story. Uh, At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They uh, They made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. If you're like me, you're going, what was he writing? (laughs) We're not told. What we are told is that when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. But he didn't stop there. Then Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. See, Jesus says, come as you are. He doesn't turn this woman away, or worse, condemn her, condemn her to death. Rather, he sends the others away who would condemn her. He welcomes her as she is. She knows his welcome She experiences his welcome. She knows that he has saved her. And he really has saved her, hasn't he? He saved her. And then he truly sets her free when he says, go now and leave this life of sin. It's this dynamic, this come as you are, but don't stay as you are, I think, that really describes the freedom that the gospel brings to us. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Uh, Because Jesus has a new and much better life for us to live than the old life 
in which we came to him. In Romans 6 and 7, Paul turns his attention to a new aspect of the gospel of grace, the nature of this freedom that Christ has won for us. Not only what it's freedom from, our old life of sin, but also what it is for, why he has rescued us and how to live the new life that is won for us. So I hope you've got Romans 6 open there and just the first part of verse seven, uh, chapter 7 as we read earlier. Uh, now what we're going to see here is that uh, the consequences of sin are several. Uh, that we need to be rescued from the penalty of sin, and we've been giving this some thought in the last few weeks, the penalty of sin, but we also need to be released from the power of sin. Sin has effects in our life, and we need to be released from that, set free from that as well. Next week, we're going to go on to consider, well, how does that fit with the presence of sin in our lives as well? What does it look look like to be freed from the presence of sin as well? Now, uh, the first part of the chapter, I think, deals with the uh, being set free, how uh, Jesus has set us free from the penalty of sin. You might have noticed, as Paula read for us this morning uh, through there, there's lots of talk about death and life. In fact, the word death or died or dead uh, comes up 12 times in the first 10 verses, so it's clearly uh, a focus. Uh, And in verse 23, when we get to the end of the, the chapter, we read... For the wages, good summary, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. This is the penalty, you see, the penalty for sin that we need to be set free from, released from. Sin earns death. Uh, The fine, as it were, or the penalty for sin is death. Now, we've known this since the beginning, haven't we? Uh, From the very opening pages of the Bible, uh, God said very clearly to Adam and Eve, don't eat, because if you eat, you will die. Eating was disobeying God, uh, not trusting him, uh, and therefore sin. And, And God was clear, if you sin, if you eat, you will die. Sin leads to death. It's a very uh, clear connection. Uh, Earlier in Romans 1, we read, even though they know that those who do such things deserve death, sin leads to death. Sin earns death. It merits death. And so our guilt has been established in Romans and the sentence of death, we know, is deserved. But now, remember, but the gospel has been revealed. The good news is that Jesus has received the wages that we have earned. Jesus has paid the penalty that we have accrued. He has died the death that we deserved and in so doing has set us free from that penalty. You know, the reward, you know, the, the bounty on our heads has been lifted. It's no longer there. We have been declared innocent and set free. The death penalty of our sin has been paid. And Paul talks in the first few verses of chapter 6 about how this has occurred. He uses the illustration, uh, the, um, the symbol of baptism, to explain how we get freed when Jesus pays uh, the price for our sin. He says, Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. 
We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, what does it mean that we have died to sin? You don't look dead. Some of you look tired, but you don't look dead. You'll be glad to know. What does that mean? How did we die? We know that Jesus died. Well, how did we die? Well, keep reading. Don't you know that all of us, verse 3, don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? See, baptism, uh, the symbolism of baptism often gets missed, I think. Uh, We talk about the water and how water washes, water makes clean, and that's the symbol of baptism. But there's actually a more biblical symbol uh, or a connection made, and that is that when the body, and this is actually, you know, I've got a bit of a a bugbear with the sprinkling, uh, because it doesn't do the symbol very well. The symbol is this, the old self goes down into the water. It's a burial. The new self comes up out of the water when we are raised to life. That's the primary symbol of baptism. That's what he says here. Don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And there's a very important word in the next verse, verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. United with Christ. We are knit together with Christ through faith. When he dies, we die. But our death, like his, is the death of the old self in order that the new self might be raised to life. The old self, ruled by sin, a slave to sin, dies, and the new self, set free from the penalty of sin, is raised to life. And because the death penalty has been paid, we are free to receive God's gracious gift of eternal life. Again, to the end of the chapter, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the wages that we earned, death, but the gift that was given, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God is merciful in that he doesn't give us what we do deserve, and he is gracious in that he gives us what we don't deserve. Isn't that wonderful? So the penalty has been lifted, the penalty of sin. But the thing is that death is not the only consequence of sin, is it? Death is the final consequence of sin, but it's not the only consequence of sin. As if we only face the consequences of our sin right at the end of our lives. You know that's not true. Sin has more immediate consequences too, doesn't it? Our lives are dramatically shaped by our sin, as well as the sin of others. But we're focusing on the impact of our own sin. Paul describes the impact of sin on our lives as slavery. You might not feel like a slave, but this is what the Bible teaches us. Sin, apart from Christ, sin is our master, as he says in verse 14. Uh, We are under the reign of sin, he says in verse 12. It rules over us. So as well as sin earning us the penalty of sin, it exercises its power over us. It makes us its slaves. Now, 
I'm going to try and prove this to you. Uh, I know I'm actually, you may already believe it and I may not need to prove this to you. Or you may not believe it and I may be unable to prove it to you. That's okay. I'll rely on the Holy Spirit to do what I can't do. Um, but let me give you an example. The most obvious example of how we are enslaved by sin uh, is experienced by those who have an addiction. Okay? Anyone who is an addict and acknowledges that they're an addict, and usually the most obvious forms of addiction are those to substance abuse, are those to substances, an addict knows they are a slave. They know very well that they are a slave, that they are not in control, that the thing they're addicted to has mastery over them. And you may be in that situation or you may have been in that situation and so you know, you get this. Um, but I wonder whether you might consider this morning whether you may be an addict and just never have realised it because your addiction is to a much more subtle or perhaps socially acceptable master and yet an addiction nonetheless. You can tell, here's some ways to tell if you might be addicted to something, uh, it's something that you make sacrifices for or sacrifices to. Whether it's money or your time or other things that you know are actually more important and yet you neglect them instead of this thing. Uh, you're an addict if you can't actually stop yourself from engaging in whatever activity or thought or whatever it is. You know you shouldn't and yet, I shouldn't but I do. You tell yourself just a little bit, just a little bit more of what it might be. And these things are the kind of things that you don't choose to fill your thoughts and your life, but they just seem to happen. Things that come unbidden, thoughts that come unbidden into your mind, waking or sleeping. What are the things that just kind of are ever present for you? You'll, if you start to ask these questions, you'll start to tap into what things you might be addicted to. Let me offer you some suggestions. You might be addicted to control. You need to be in control. You don't like the feeling of not being in control and you order your life around having control or creating control over your own life and perhaps over others. You might be addicted to control. You might be addicted to anger. It just comes upon you. You don't like being angry, but you can't help yourself. Certain things just set you off. You've got a short fuse. You just can't help it. You might be addicted to approval. I don't know if I've met many people who aren't. We just want people to think well of us. And then we let out that desire shape how we act, how we behave, the things we say, more strongly than other things that should. I wonder if you might be addicted to approval. Perhaps for you it's success. You're driven. You can put it in positive ways, of course. But maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it has control over you rather than you having control over it. Could be sex. 
not necessarily the act of sex, but sex nonetheless, sexual thoughts that you just don't want to have and yet do have, could be the need to feel secure and safe, could be something like fashion and it doesn't have to be clothes, it could be the latest gadget or whatever it is, you just, for some reason you've told yourself you need it when clearly you don't need it, but you tell yourself you do. Or entertainment or food, there's so many different things and you'll find something. If I haven't already mentioned it, I'm sure it's there. See, the fact is that we're all slaves because even though we may all be living under the impression of freedom, that is, we do what we want to do, maybe there's some truth to that, maybe we do do what we want to do, but while you may be free to do what you want to do, you are not free to choose what you want. Just think about that. Sure, you may, f- you may do what you want to do, but are you free to choose what you want? Do you actually choose your desires? Have you ever tried to change your desires? It's a diagnostic question. Have you ever really tried to change your desires? Have you ever tried to change the direction of your own heart? It is very hard to do to want something and then to try to not want it. Do you see what I mean? Do you see how this slavery works? We live in this illusion, oh, I do whatever I want to do. But who decides what you want to do? You think it's you, but it's patently not because try changing it and you'll find that you are powerless. I hope you're understanding your predicament. But, again, but, the good news is that Jesus' death not only sets us free from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin in our lives. Sin is no longer our master if Jesus is instead. If Jesus is Lord, then sin no longer rules. By dying to what once bound us, We're set free from the mastery, the rule, and the reign of sin. But free for what? And this is the crucial question. Free to do whatever we want? No, as Paul says twice, by no means. That's what got us into this mess. That's sin. Okay, well, what are we set free for for then? And here's the perplexing, surprising, and freeing answer. We are set free to be slaves to a better master. See, the nature of Christian freedom is that we swap our slavery to sin and the consequence of death for slavery to Jesus as Lord. Isn't that the gospel? Jesus is Lord. If he is Lord, he is master, and we are his slaves. Yes, we are his children as well, but we are also his slaves. He is the better master. See, in the end, we don't get to choose whether or not we're slaves. We just get to choose who our master is. And Jesus is the far better master, isn't he? He is. Bob Dylan once sang, although saying might be being generous, 
Uh, you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And he's right. And what we have before us today is that we have been given the choice. We have been given the freedom that has been handed back to us to choose Jesus as our Lord and our Master and to live under his reign and rule, to live the resurrected life, to live the new life that he has won for us through his death. So given all this, how should we deal with sin in our lives? Should we be blasé about it? Should we just kind of go, oh, well, it's forgiven, doesn't really matter, does it? I can do what I want. No, that's not what you were saved for. That's not what you were set free for. That's the old life. You were set free to live a new life. How do you do it? How do you live in this freedom? How do you really push off the power of sin, the reign of sin in your life? It's really quite simple. Come as you are says Jesus. Return regularly to the foot of the cross. Be a regular visitor there. Remember when you come to the cross who you were. Who you were. Jesus' death on the cross tells you who you were and what you needed to be rescued from. What the penalty was that you deserved. He paid it. But it has been paid. He tells you what you were and he tells you what he's done about it. He tells you that the penalty has been done away with. But also, when you visit the cross, you know that sin is not a small or trifling thing. You know that sin led to the death of Jesus Christ. And if you love Jesus Christ, how can you live in sin anymore, knowing the price that he paid? So come as you are regularly to the foot of the cross, but don't stay as you are. After visiting the cross, go to the empty tomb. Be a regular there as well. And know who you are now. Know who you are now, raised with Christ, set free. Set free from the penalty of death and the power of sin in your life. You no longer need to say yes to sin. Because Jesus is your Lord, you have a better master, and you love him, and say yes to him. He is the best master of all. That is who you are now, and you are free to be who you are in Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Christian freedom is the only true and the best kind of freedom. It's not a freedom that sees us saved and then running back to the same things that enslaved us. But rather, you set us free, you take the penalty, Jesus takes the penalty and he sets us free to head right away and to live the new life that he has won for us in Christ. Just as Jesus has been raised from the dead, we have been raised as well and our new life has begun. Father, you know that we still struggle with sin, but help us to see that that struggle is now one that we can make progress in, that we can overcome, that we can win, that we can rely on you and the resources of your spirit, that we can go to the cross and to the empty tomb and we can see there who we were 
and who we are. That your spirit who lives in us is stronger than our old master. And that relying on him with the new desires that you have given us in our heart, we are able uh, to say no to sin and to say yes to Jesus as Lord. We pray that you will help us to have this attitude, this brave and courageous attitude towards sin in our lives, knowing that there is now no longer any penalty or condemnation, that we are free to fight with all the resources that you have given us, the battle against sin, until Jesus our Lord returns. We pray in his name. Amen.